For me, there's a sense of pride in being able to stand up and speak about these issues. It's what keeps me going. When I look at what, what our ancestors had to go through, the least I can do is this. Hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. Thank you for joining us for Native Lights. Native Lights is a place for Native folks to tell their stories, share their perspectives and voices. And we get to hear so many cool stories from folks around Minnesota, uh, people finding their gifts and sharing their purpose, or is it sharing their gifts and finding their purpose? I don't know. Either way. Yeah, it's yeah. really just a great way to connect with folks and, um, yeah, hear from them in that positive uh, way, that that good way, I suppose, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how's it going, Cole? There's the update with uh, the Cleveland Major League Baseball team changing their name to the Guardians. And I, of course, saw the news and I had to text you about yeah. it. And what was your response? All I said was, good. That's all I got to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) What else are you supposed to say? God, it's just... Yeah, I know. Like, you want a cookie? I don't know. Maybe that's that's a a little too (laughs) sarcastic. But, you know, people have been speaking out against these racist mascots for decades and decades. So, I mean, finally. Yeah. It's pretty close to Indians too. Guardians, Indians. I don't know. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> but also, I also thought it was funny that Tom Hanks was the guy who announced the whole thing, too. Well, you can't be mad at Tom Hanks, huh? <laughs> Maybe that's why they're trying to placate everybody on all sides of everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anywho, I thought it was funny. And we'll, uh, we'll actually ask our guest today about, uh, about his reaction to that. Today, we are talking to Donald Eubanks. He is a fellow Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe citizen with a lot of experience in both tribal and state government. He's the former Commissioner of Health and Human Services for the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe, and he recently retired as an Associate Professor and Field Director for the Social Work Program at Metropolitan State University. And lastly, he is the co-host of Counter Stories, a podcast that explores race, social justice, and everything in between. And he lives in Roseville, Minnesota, so not too far from where I reside in Minneapolis. Boujou, Donald. Boujou, how are you doing? Hey, this isn't live, is it? No. <laughs> oh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I swear a lot, so you know, he, he's going to be busy editing, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for coming. Sure. So how is the the family doing, you know, uh, during the pandemic, all that? Well, the past year for myself and for the family was very stressful, extremely stressful. I, I, I uh, have a few medical things, you know, that, and I'm older, even though I don't look like it, mm-hmm. but uh, um, that, you know, I thought put me in that kind of high risk category. And so took all safety precautions. And um, 
our daughter, who was in her senior year, I think suffered a lot because uh, for that class of 220, her school year as a senior abruptly came to an end. She finished her school year online. She missed out on prom. She missed out on graduation. She missed out on all those activities. And to compound it, she, she really couldn't hang around with her friends in order to protect me. Sure. And so, you know, it, it, it was an extremely hard time because then I felt like an ogre. You know, I felt bad because I had to remind her that on the uh, context that she could be and in, in, get infected and then bring it home. Yeah. So it was a really, really hard time. And she um, was planning to go to college during that time also. And she, um, she got accepted at a few, you know, at, at, at a few institutions. And, and, uh, but she decided to go to the University of Iowa, Hawkeyes, uh, following in the steps mm. of her older brother um, who had attended uh, the University of Iowa on a football scholarship. So, you know, we were pleased, but um, the state of Iowa hadn't instituted a lot of COVID-type things like we had done here in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. um, Iowa kind of took a different approach and, in my mind, was uh, much more lax to the point even that, you know, I was surprised that they had students actually come and stay on campus. So even though a, a couple of her classes were online, some were in person. Yeah. And so that, you know, that was a stressful time because you're you're letting your child go for the first time and it's happening during a pandemic. And um, which normally should be a very happy occasion mm -hmm. that uh, COVID just didn't allow all, any of that transition to happen. She, you know, she still went. She managed to remain COVID free. She completed her freshman year, and now she's home. She she got vaccinated before she came back, and uh, so you know she's back with us. We're all vaccinated now, so things are feeling you know a little bit better, a little bit more normal, I guess. And then on top of that, I I had put in the announcement that I was going to retire at the end of the mm -hmm. school year, and so for me. It was the idea that I've waited, I've worked all my adult life waiting for the moment that I could retire when I turned 66 years old, which was last year. And then this pandemic hit and, and I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I can outlast the pandemic long enough just to retire. So, you know, all those kind of things were happening, I think, simultaneously. And it, so the past year, because of COVID, wasn't fun at all. So. What are you up to right now? Uh, I know that you're still doing the Counter Stories podcast. Yeah, so, you know, I'm still one of the co-hosts for uh, Counter Stories. But the idea that I had in mind when I, uh, when I retired is that I would still remain kind of busy in the community, one way or another, impacting, I guess, uh, social justice or racial social justice, I should say. So I am currently involved with a couple of different groups doing consulting work around that, around that idea. 
One is working with a agency in in Minneapolis, looking at uh, helping them redefine who they are to address racial social justice. And another is a with a state agency that that is part of the criminal justice system, Guardian Med Lighting Program, that uh, suffers with uh, high rates of out of home placement of American Indian children and and uh, African American children and other children of color. And so both those efforts are geared at at lowering those uh, out-of-home placements uh, around racial equity. That's kind of what has driven me most of my life, uh, most of my adult life, is uh, that kind of work, regardless of what I was doing. Even though I didn't, you know, my jobs weren't necessarily designed for that, but that's that's kind of what I kind of zeroed in on. Uh, in my career. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Donald Eubanks, Malak's Band of Ojibwe citizen and co-host of Counter Stories, a podcast about race, social justice, and a lot more. So, okay, so you're working on equity with these organizations, these departments. Oh, boy. How do you even begin with that? I feel like there are jobs that where equity is built into the work, like it's something that's actively done. And then there are other organizations where it's like, oh yeah, we should probably do this. How do we do how do we even start doing something like that? Well, you know, I'm just starting, right? So I just retired in June. And and so I'm just actually starting these consulting jobs. It, it was interesting because I had made an announcement that I was retiring. And I think uh, a month, a month or two before I actually retired, a couple of different groups reached out to me and asked if I had an interest in doing this with them. And it's exactly what I had always kind of told myself I wanted to do. So I agreed, you know, with both of these groups. And then they both got selected. You know, agreeing to work with a group is one thing, but then you go through the process of having that program or agency. They have to decide which consultant group they're going to go with, and and both groups got accepted. So I feel like I'm batting a hundred percent. You know, I lucked out on both ends. Um, but I think you know, with the jobs that I've had previously. Um, I'm a social worker by profession. I have a master's of social work that I attained through the University of Minnesota. In the last eight years prior, you know, prior to my retirement, I taught in social work at Metropolitan State University. On top of the regular social work curriculum, one of the classes I taught was called uh, Critical Race and Ethnic Analysis. And that class prepared students or helped them understand I think uh, the the true history of this country in terms of its dealings with us, the indigenous populations, in terms of its dealings with Africans that were brought over here as, as enslaved individuals uh, that were uh, the economic engine for this country to build its, its wealth and its mm-hmm. infrastructure. Um, and then also to help them understand how other populations of color or ethnic populations have uh, 
not always been treated equitably here in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, you know, I taught that class for eight years. Um, In the positions that I had, either at the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians or when I worked for the state, um, it put me in positions where I had an opportunity to kind of look at policies that were in place and, and be able to examine and determine whether or not they positively or negatively impacted our communities, especially the American Indian community and other populations of color. So it gave me, um, as well as working in these institutions, so it, it gave me the kind of insight um, and experience to be able to look at large systems and how they interact with one another, uh, either positively or negatively, and especially when it comes to um, systemic, systemic issues that prevent, I think, uh, equitable outcomes for, for all participants in this country, whether it's economic or housing or education or you name it, you know, there are disparities across the board that, that kind of negatively impact us. And, and, uh, and so that's where I guess my desire or, or my uh, kind of life's work is kind of zeroed in on those, those type of things, even though my job may not have been designed for that. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Donald Eubanks, Malax Band of Ojibwe citizen and co-host of Counter Stories, a podcast about race, social justice, and a lot in between. I was actually going to bring up a recent episode of the Counter Stories because I found it pretty profound. Uh, it was about the you know, the boarding schools. And in the episode, you said you were taught to hate yourself as a young Native child. And yeah, you talked about uh, playing cowboys and Indians because I, I was in the same situation back when I was a kid, you know, playing with my cousins, cowboys and Indians. Nobody wanted to be on the Indian side, of course. And, but I was just curious, you know, these things happen to our Native youth, you know, the, the these messages that, you know, Natives, they don't belong to the land that, they're on, you know, they're the losing side. Can you just speak more on that? You know, how, how do we address this? I think I've kind of thought about that at times. The lessons I was learning about American Indians weren't positive, right? I mean, and, and it's not that we were learning any lessons in school about Native Americans other than Thanksgiving. And, you know, I was always confused even in grade school how could you discover a place when our our ancestors were there with six packs and sandwiches to go, but they never left? I mean, I could never understand how you could discover something and there's people already there. Mm-hmm. You know, the teachers never explained that to us, but that's what we were told. So there were, you know, there there were um, discrepancies in what we were what we were being taught. When we were being taught anything about American Indians, question I would ask all my incoming social work students uh, the first week they would take my class, and I would ask a very simple question, how many reservations are there in Minnesota? And in eight years, including Native students, couldn't answer that question. Mm. And the answer is 11, right? Seven, Seven Ojibwe reservations and four Dakota reserves. 
to me, that should be common knowledge to anyone who lives in Minnesota, that mm -hmm. there are 11 reservations in Minnesota. And the average Minnesotan can't answer that question. Now, to just show you not so much disingenuous, but how disconnected folks are to, to us as a reality, is then I would ask the students, um, how many casinos have you been to? And then they'll start rattling off the casinos, Hinkley, Treasure Island, right? And I'll look at them and say, well, who owns mm -hmm. those uh, casinos? You know, and then a little light bulb would come on, but there's a disconnection there. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's telling. Mm -hmm. To me, that's very telling of the failure of our educational system to include all of us. Mm -hmm. um, the other story I often share is in my freshman year um, in, in the early 70s when I attended McAllister College, I was taking a early American history class. We were studying some town called Oneida out on the eastern seaboard. It was like 1636. And, you know, there's Indians all over the place. And I asked, I said, how can we study this time period and not hear anything about the natives that, that were there? And she said, well, we study history from the perspective of those who conquered and not those who were vanquished, right? Now, many people thought that was rude. To me, that was the most honest yeah. thing a professor had ever told me because that's exactly how we study history. Mm -hmm. We study it from the perspective of those who were on top, not those who were on bottom. So she told me if I wanted to learn about American Indian history, I had to take a American Indian history class. Well, in 1972, they, McAllister College didn't have American, no one had American Indian history classes at that time, with the exception of the U. Sure. They had just started that American Indian program yeah. there. To me, Cole, that, you know, that, that's, uh, I think that most of us kind of live through that kind of experience where, where who we were, we were being told were bad, negative images, and that does not build up your self-esteem. It doesn't make you proud of who you are. Yeah. Right. It's like somebody else writing your story and showing you who you're supposed to be, like mascots <laughs> and all of those things. Oh, and my God. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. I was going to ask uh, about that. Yeah. I was curious if Counter Stories was going to address um, the Cleveland situation. Well, today is Monday, so the discussion will begin. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about, but I, I always have a way of bringing those kind of things up, regardless of what we're talking about. You know, we did the one on murdered and missing Indian women. Then we did the other one on, uh, oh, on the boarding school thing. And that was because as we found mm -hmm. up in Canada, now all the damn graves they're, mm -hmm. they're finding here in the United States. And, you know, it's, th it's those stories that we, we know in our community that uh, have never been voiced or aired in the dominant culture, and it's happening now. Mm -hmm. And and um, so we did that one, and now with the Cleveland uh, Indians finally changing their name, because we've done two other podcasts on that Indian mascot, so yeah. I'm sure we'll bring that up uh. because that that's big, you know. Um, mm -hmm. um, the the next, you know, the first hurdle was the Redskins. Right. Washington, you know, and that owner said he would never change that name. Mm -hmm. And um, but that's yeah. fallen to the wayside. Now, Cleveland 
And so now we just have to wait for the rest of them. You know, the Chicago Blackhawks and the Atlanta Braves and the Kansas City Chiefs. We got we have to wait for the rest of them now to uh, fall in line. And so, you know, hopefully that's coming. Yeah, all these big changes, they take so long to make that I think I just get really frustrated because that's that's so much time and energy put into fighting racism that just really shouldn't be the case. We should be able to thrive uh, in, instead of focusing on what some team is doing that that has a history of not caring about its own racism. And I just feel a sort of way about it, and I'm going to stop there. Well, Leah, I think part of the frustration is, um, you know, our numbers. I mean, <clears throat> so, you know, when I've looked, when I've looked into our, our history, at the beginning of the 20th century, according to the census, now keep in mind that, you know, when my great-grandmother passed away, we had to guess how old she was because they didn't keep birth certificates, right, on, on us. We weren't made citizens until 1924, but at the beginning of the 20th century, the best guesstimate is that there were only 200 to 250,000 of us left. Think about that, mm-hmm. right? There were only 200 to 250,000 Indians left. So they almost wiped us out. And our numbers are rebounding, but we make up still less than 1.9% of the total population across the board. And with the browning of America by 2040, you know, we still will only make up less than 2% of the population. Mm -hmm. When you look at these major reports that come out, that look at the disparities that exist for communities of color, you always hear for Black, Latino, Asian, and then other. Now, who's other, right? We never come up because when you ask statisticians at 1.9%, that's statistically insignificant, right? We're in the margin of error. So we don't even show up in these reports. You know, so we're dealing with those kind of things. But for me, there's a sense of pride in being able to stand up and speak about these issues. Mm -hmm. It's what keeps me going. Mm -hmm. When I look at what what our ancestors had to go through, the least I can do is this. Mm-hmm. When I look at what we've been through and I look at what we're facing now, if it's just changing the name of a team, mm-hmm. well, you know, fine, we're going to keep fighting to change the name of a team. But, you know, there are many more other systemic things in place that we have to continue to fight and someone's got to fight it. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, however, that's what keeps me going. It doesn't mean I don't get tired. Leah, I'm like you. I'm like, I get tired. It's depressing. You know, you know, I need time away. The only time I really feel energized is when I get up north. Of course, I'm never sure how far up north I got to (laughs) go to when I'm actually up north. I go to Mille Lacs. That's going up north. (laughs) But that's still central Minnesota, (laughs) right? Where you're at now, that's more yeah. up north, yeah. Leah. Where I think where you guys are at, that's that's more up north. But I feel energized when I get out of the city, and and I'm able to do that. So, yeah. But I guess that's what keeps me going. That's great. Thinking about it, like 
being energized is is huge because a lot of times when I look at all of these issues, every single one, every day, something new on the social media feed, something new here, you know, somebody else, relative, family in trouble. It's like what I do never feels like it'll ever be enough. Like we can't talk about every single thing. How do we prioritize? How do we decide? And what gives me the right to decide, you know, like what we talk about, you know, all of these uh, things that I'm trying to balance out that on the other hand, you know, looking at it, more like you do. It's like, what gives me the right to not do it? I have to do it, you know, and we'll make mistakes along the way, but it's just a part of it and it's bringing those issues to light however we can. All the time, I'm just one voice in the Mm -hmm. force Mm -hmm. and, you know, there are many voices in the force and I'm just one of them. I'm just another one of them and, and, uh, I'm not the voice. I don't try to be the voice. I'm just a voice. Mm -hmm. And I think collectively, after a while, somebody's going to hear us. Mm. Right? Somebody will listen. And and hopefully, you know, we'll make that, we can make those changes. But it's daunting. I mean, even after George Floyd for a while there, I mean, that thing swept the world. Black Lives Matter and those protests swept the world. I, I, I've never seen protests in Zurich or Paris. You know what I mean? That, that was incredible. But now we're back to, you know, where we were prior to George Floyd. And, um, and so that means we're back to business as usual. I think uh, there were a few changes, you know, where making systemic change is not easy work. It's, it's very hard work. And um, when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, you know, that's what these consulting things that I'm doing, it's getting down to the nitty gritty yeah. and actually asking people to be uncomfortable mm. to make changes. And, 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 you know, how do you, how do you ask folks who benefit from a system to change that system? So it benefits everyone. Think about that, you know, mm-hmm. and how willing would you be to do that. And that's what we're asking people to do. Yeah. And and that that's not easy. No. No. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for yeah. all of this. Yeah, this really push. helps me even with my work too. So I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for your perspective today. Really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. I like that those bunk beds back there. Did Daniel build those too? <laughs> that's our staircase. <laughs> it looks like a <laughs> oh, it's a staircase? <laughs> Well, here all this time, I thought they were bunk beds. (laughs) 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 So big thank you to Donald Eubanks. Donald Eubanks is a Mille Lacs band of Ojibwe citizen, and he is also the co-host of Counter Stories, a podcast about race, social justice, and a lot in between. And that is an Ampers production, and you can find that on counterstoriespodcast.org. So I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. McWaits for listening. Giga Wabaman. Giga Wabaman. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you want to hear more Native folks talking about their gifts and finding their purpose, 
Search for Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine, wherever you find podcasts, and find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org.